This is She Sparks Tech, a podcast about women who take technology to heart in their careers. We will explore stories about women who think creatively, find new directions, solve problems, and chase passions, all through technology. I'm your host, Casey Bertelsman, and I am excited about showcasing amazing women and their careers, covering both expected and unexpected directions to expand our idea of tech careers, and in hopes of inspiring each of us to think a little bit bigger. Nicole, it is so great to have you here with me today on the She Sparks Tech podcast. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Casey, it's so good to talk to you. My name is Nicole Coustier, and I'm a medical technology advisor and a general startup advisor, and I'm also an executive coach. And my specialty is getting new AI med tech covered by insurance companies here in the U.S. And then on the coaching side, I actually specialize in high stakes, high consequence decision making. So that's me. Okay, that's very, very cool. So obviously that was not specifically where you started your career, but can you talk a little bit about how you started your career doing research and what that looked like? Absolutely. So coming out of school, I actually got a job with the government. It was a work-study program that turned into a full-time job, and I was doing epidemiology and disease tracking. I did work in a childhood infectious disease, but also made a lateral transfer to environmental health. And I worked with public health nurses in the state of California and really helped them with their the tracking of their information, their data, their diseases. So I did a lot of database testing. I did a lot of database design, really trying to set up the infrastructure of the program in order to serve their overarching needs, right? So how do we know that what we're doing is actually working and having the desired effect That was where I started out in that epidemiological environment. I did that for a few years. And I think what I found is for a very young, ambitious person, sometimes government work is not the best alignment. And I wanted to find something that could really accelerate my experience and my exposure to different things. And that's when I went into the private sector. And, you know, gosh, it's like I went 180 degrees in the opposite direction. I thought, well, what could I get into that would maximize my exposure to lots of different things? And so for me, that was consulting. So rather than going into industry in the private sector, I said, well, you know, I have a couple of years under my belt doing some government work and disease tracking. How could I leverage that for even just an entry-level position in consulting? And that's where it took off. I was a consultant for 16 years and got just 
talk about maximize exposure to all the things. It was it was nuts in some ways, but I really did meet that goal of getting exposure and experience in ways that I could not have even predicted. Yes. And so I guess one question about that would be consulting sometimes feels like a very elusive term. What does it actually mean? What do you actually do? And I'm sure that varies based on where you work and industry. So what were you doing specifically as a consultant? Yeah, so that really evolved over time. But the very first consultancy role that I had was just a variation of of research. I always worked in medical technology. And to begin with, it was literally doing the mouse clicks, <laughs> researching on Google and going to the UCSF, you know, library to download publications and just understand the environment, the market that these technologies were entering or wanted to enter, trying to expose what were some of the vulnerabilities, what are some of the gaps in the market that this technology has the potential to fill. And that's where I started out. But over time, what happened is I got exposure to a lot more sophisticated questions where now I was thinking about, well, how do we strategically position this product? How do we fill those gaps that exist? What are some innovative ways, totally outside the box thinking, in how to make this product successful? And as time went on, that sophistication, that exposure to different stakeholders like government agencies and healthcare law firms and understanding the compliance environment and just the more years you spend in it, the more you have an opportunity to understand lots of different aspects that you weren't necessarily exposed to before. So that's how that evolved. And toward the end, as a consultant, I was driving a lot of that strategy. I was working with policymakers. I was implementing all of those, those ideas and strategies and tactics that had been developed years and years before. So it was a very exciting culmination in all of that experience over time. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good way to describe your role in consulting because I do know that sometimes it's a word people just use and you're like, I don't know. This Does this have any meaning actually? <laughs> right, right. Well, and so much of consulting, like if you really brought it down to the most elemental definition, it's you have a client that doesn't know how to do a thing. I mean, that is, it's not more sophisticated than that, right? They have a gap in their knowledge or their experience or their, or just their bandwidth, right? They can't get to it. And there are other people out there who do know and who can execute. So in some ways, consulting is just, I am helping other people fill in gaps and execute on things that they can't do internally. Beautiful. 
Now, how that manifests for different industries and how you want to niche yourself within a broader category. Yeah, there are lots and lots of options there. Yep. That's a really wonderful description there. And so, I mean, you went from that role into starting your own business doing startup advising. And what made you interested in, I guess, going off on your own? Because you already worked with a lot of that med tech sector already. A hundred percent. Well, this is an example of where life happens to you. (laughs) You know, there was no point where I said, ah, now it's time. I think I'm going to go off on my own. That happens in a lot of situations. It just happened to not occur in my situation. The company that I helped build, the consulting firm, got acquired by a big multinational firm. It was happy days all around, except I didn't want to work for a big multinational firm. And at the time of the acquisition, I had a little girl and she was three years old. And so the question for me was, well, do I go to another firm? Do I get a job in industry? Do I work the 50 hours a week? Or, you know, is this really an opportunity to do something different? And so I did something very, very different. I actually started a coaching firm. So I actually left MedTech for a bit. And not that I was burned out or anything. It just seemed like an opportunity to do something different. And I'll tell you, I learned so much starting my own practice and getting certified and helping people in different ways than I had helped them before. And I did that for a few years. And what ultimately happened was when you spend lots and lots of years in a particular industry, it's really hard to just cut it off and say, well, I don't do that anymore. I mean, I have friends and relationships and all the networking over the years. And these are people that I really loved and respected. And, you know, they would reach out to me and say, hey, do you you know anything about this? Or would you be willing to help me with this? And what ended up happening over time is I just enjoyed working with these people so much that I said, you know what, maybe I'll start something else and I'll help people in the ways that I want to help them, that is not serving some larger consulting firm's objectives, but just doing the type of work that I wanted to do. And that's how the MedTech Advisory started. I love that. And I can definitely see, you know, some strong parallels between coaching and consulting as you're having those kinds of conversations with owners and stakeholders trying to get answers without pressuring and helping them reflect on things that are important. All of that is something that happens in coaching too. You know, I, as a coachee, would pose a question to you. You throw something back at me because you're not going to give me an answer explicitly. You want me to develop those skills on my own. While it may not always feel that they're comparable, there's a strong alignment in the skill sets and in how you're communicating with these people. Absolutely. And sometimes I need to make the distinction between I have my coaching hat on and I'm going to help you 
sort your way through this. Basically, I have no skin in the game. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to help you surface what is best for you versus my consulting hat, which is I absolutely have an opinion about what you should do. And you are paying me for that expertise. And here are the things that you ought to do and why. Those are two different things, but you're absolutely right. The skills, the communication, the awareness to know that in any particular conversation or any particular client engagement, which purpose you're serving is super, super important. But the skills can be deployed in lots of different ways across all kinds of domains, and they're not necessarily specific to coaching versus consulting. Yes. For anyone who's interested in, you know, working with startups in like an advisory or board capacity, from your experience, obviously you had several connections in the industry that you wanted to focus in. But how do you continue to make those kinds of connections and identify potential opportunities? Yeah, so there are a couple of things that I would recommend. One is to network. Now, this is such an uncomfortable thing a lot of times, business networking. But I will say this, that when I stopped calling it networking, And I just approached it from the standpoint of, I am just genuinely curious in what you do. I'm curious about your history. I want to hear what you're working on these days. Tell me more. That really serves that networking purpose in a way that traditional business networking and all the blogs, you know, that tell you what you ought to do. It serves it in a way that is so natural and so much more comfortable for me and I think for a lot of other women. And so that's what I would say. I would say if there is a a target industry or sub-industry that you are interested in being an advisor in, do that networking. Talk to as many people as you can and You don't need to think of it in terms of a quid pro quo, like, oh, gee, why would they want to talk to me? I don't have anything to offer. Ah, just let that go and just be genuinely curious about them and what they're working on and their histories and their companies and just ask a bunch of questions. You will be surprised at how receptive people are to that. And so that's what I would say. Number one is network. Number two, is, and this might be a little uncomfortable for people as well, but tell people what you want. <laughs> Just let, let other people know, I would love to be an advisor on an advisory board. Do you know of anybody or companies who are, that are looking or can you put me in touch with anybody who would be open to talking to me about that? Gosh, you'd be surprised how many people say, oh my gosh, absolutely, you should talk to so-and-so. It's genuinely surprising. So don't be afraid to tell people, I'm available. I'm available to be an advisor. I want to share my wisdom. I want to give back. And let's have a conversation. And then the third thing that I would 
recommend is that there are a lot of matching services. So you can find these types of programs online where, especially if you're starting out, you can be an advisor, you can be a mentor. So there are tech mentorship programs and things like that where they're not paid or anything like that, but you get some experience under your belt and you're able to say, I am a mentor through these established programs that have then linked you with other companies. So you get a feel for what that's like and what companies need and how to talk about your services and what you can advise on in a way that really resonates with companies. And then you can take that and leverage it like crazy from there on out. Yes, I love that. And so, you know, there are, I've seen several of those connection services. I think your website has some of them that you personally use on there. I know some services require payment to join and some do not. So if you had good experiences, if you've had to pay for any of them versus less than ideal, I suppose? Yeah, it's a fair question. And the companies that do require payment, they recruit pretty heavily for that, right? Because that supports their business model. But I will say this, I have never paid for any of those programs. So you can go to, especially in the tech space, there are a lot of accelerators right? They're accelerators and incubators. And so they have startup companies that are going through their program and they actively recruit and are open to mentors participating in the accelerator. Yeah, they don't, they don't charge because the startup companies are paying and they're the ones. So that's how the business model works. So you can go to Techstars, you can go to Alchemist Accelerator, you can go to New Chip. I mean, there are tons. And on their website, they usually have a link for applying to be a mentor. You answer some questions. And over time, what happens is they try to link you up with a company that has needs you know, that align with your expertise or the industry that they're in aligns with the industry you have experience in. Oh my goodness, let them do the work. And um, over time, you'll, you know, some of those may end up, you know, turning into an advisory role. Um, some of them might not, but it's a great way to get started. Yeah. And then would you say that you know, those kinds of mentee roles are something that you can put on a resume or on your LinkedIn profile? A hundred percent. And I have actually found that it does a lot for your name and kind of, you know, the cachet that you have entering subsequent conversations through LinkedIn connections and, you know, potential partnerships and things like that, just to be able to say, whether it's your resume, your website, your LinkedIn profile, these are all the organizations that I've worked with. Here's where I'm a mentor. You can contact me either through these accelerators or contact me directly. I'd be happy to have a conversation. It really beefs up your credibility and gives people a certain level of confidence because let's be honest, there are a lot of people 
running around saying they're sophisticated advisors and, you know, they haven't really been vetted. But if you can associate yourself with one of these programs, then you really increase the confidence level for any startups that might be looking for partners in that space. Okay. I I think that's a really great direction to look at it because I have seen a few where they're like, it's $250 a month. And I'm like, what kind of value am I getting out of $250 a month? (laughs) Yeah, there are. and, And just remember that this is a process, right? So you can start off just being a mentor through an accelerator program. Understand what that process even looks like. And then you can graduate to maybe an advisory role that may or may not have an equity agreement associated with it. But again, when you're starting out, it's just nice to have the experience, right? And then that can graduate into a board of directors role or something, you know, more sophisticated. Maybe you can be on a a panel of judges for like, pitch, you know, pitch feedback. And, you know, I mean, there's so many different opportunities that come up once you get your foot in the door. And I, you know, all of those organizations that say you pay us and we guarantee you a board position. Well, you know, you could try it. I mean, there's no harm in paying money to learn about a thing, right? Um, that doesn't have to be money wasted, so to speak. You can spend the money in order to learn if that's right for you. But if you don't want to spend the money, gosh, there are lots of other options. Perfect. And I, I think that's something really to emphasize, especially to anyone who may have been going through the vast amount of layoffs we've been seeing in tech and you're looking for something. Ideally, you want to be paid for something, but getting new experience, making new connections, and not having to have a large financial investment in it can still be valuable to where you're going to come out on the other end of things. Absolutely. And I would encourage people to think about it less from the standpoint of scarcity and more from a standpoint of curiosity and maybe even fun. I think we have these goals that we set for ourselves and gosh, in 10 years, I want to be on how many boards and whatever. I'm not saying that those goals are not good or that you shouldn't have them, but man, that journey can be a lot more laid back and fun and interesting and can take left turns that you could not have possibly predicted and can be just as valuable and lead to opportunities and revenue and lots and lots of things that, that yeah, it could, it could just take you in a different direction. And that direction could be just as good. Yes. And I think that's so important to highlight, especially with startups, because a lot of the things being created there is a fun aspect to them. I mean, you work in a lot of med tech and you spend specifically, you know, doing AI and machine learning applications, which we're seeing so much of right now. And it's fun and exciting. It's not necessarily like whimsical fun, but it's it's enjoyable learning about all of these new things. It's startups are our new inventors 
it's not Albert Einstein in there with a light bulb anymore. It, it looks different, but it's still exciting to learn about. Yeah. And to be a part of that process at any stage. I mean, there's so much that's changing and so much you get exposure to. And to be able to take even a single conversation and think about how to leverage that as a case study in your next conversation, right? These don't need to be isolated things. You could go into a conversation with somebody you haven't talked to ever before and say, oh, you know what? I was just talking to somebody else the other day and they had this interesting point. What do you think about that? The exploration piece of this can't be understated. And I think the more that we open ourselves up to curiosity and exploration and all these things, I think you'd be surprised how many opportunities then fall into your lap without you trying and driving and almost even forcing. Sometimes it feels, for a lot of us, it feels force, right? And gosh, it, it, it's an exercise and trust and faith to see what if I, I'm just curious and what if I go down this path and see what happens? Oh, man, you, you might be surprised. There are a lot of fun things that can come from it. I love that. To loop it back around to what you're specifically doing, are there any highlights that you can share about your work so far? Not wanting to have any confidentiality issues, of course, if that's a concern. But, you know, you said it's a fun space. We'd love to know what that looks like for you. Right. So there are some particular things in MedTech that I've been working on that have to do with all of the innovations and the, the wonderful, wonderful technology that's coming out of that space right now. The gap between the potential of the technology and what actually gets realized in, in the market. And so some of the things that I've been working on and brainstorming with people on and helping medtech startups with is how difficult it can be for healthcare as an institution to move. It's such a wonderful learning exercise. It has me appreciating all the different stakeholders at the table who are taking the same information. Everybody has the same information. But when you are coming from a particular perspective, you're taking all the information and you're putting it through a particular lens. And you have all these different stakeholders in healthcare and in med tech who are genuinely trying to do the right thing. Everybody, everybody wants to do the right thing from hospital administrators to patient advocates to specialty societies to insurance companies and health plans. Everybody is trying to do the right thing for the patient. And so learning other people's perspectives is so enlightening. And where you can draw connections among all those different perspectives and then move healthcare forward, it's a magical thing. 
Yes. And one of the clients that I work with, she's a physician. She works with physician coaches. Um, And so they fight some of those same struggles with trying to move medicine forward and change viewpoints on physician mental health and what it means to maintain that. And it's an industry where it doesn't always change as fast as tech does, but we see it some places, but then you go other places, usually more rural places, and you can see that tech disparity in how they actually do their work and seeing how slowly it can trickle through. Yeah. And there are so many companies that are trying different things. There's a lot of experimentation, not just about the technology itself, but the follow-through, right? How do we make sure that it's getting to the people who need it? What are the barriers? How do we begin to break down these barriers? Let's do some experimentation. Let's see what works. Let's keep what's working and drop the things that don't work. Continually iterating, not just on the product development, but on the process pull-through is, I mean, we need to push the envelope on that in healthcare. And in a lot of ways, it's happening and and seeing some positive results. Yeah. And... Like anything, you know, really understanding the technical literacy of the range of people you really are trying to serve as an ideal client because there is that big of a range in medical professionals and some who are so happy to adapt new technologies and other ones where you have to pry their paper charts out of their (laughs) cold, dead hands. Oh my God, so true. One of the things that I do is I design programs for new technology to support physicians and patients and hospitals to actually bill and you know, code and bill for some of these new technologies. And it is fascinating. You can create a program that has this beautiful, slick, sophisticated portal where everybody can go in and just do what they need to do in a few clicks. And there are just some offices who are like, no, 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 no. I just want a fax. Can I still fax? What's your fax number? Like, it's amazing. And so you have to accommodate those things in order to get the technology accepted and things like that. But yeah, it's still a really wide range of tech uptake, as as you mentioned, and that'll be shifting. I think what, what happens, you know, with Moore's Law and everything just getting quicker and quicker and quicker is you'll see that healthcare also moves quicker. I mean, it just will. But relative to all the other industries and sub-industries and how quickly those things take up new tech, healthcare as an institution will probably still be moving at a glacial pace relative to those other things. But the reality is that things are changing and healthcare is going to move a little bit quicker. It's still just going to be slower than some other industries. Yeah, it's It's harder to move forward for probably a lot of good reasons, plenty of not-so-good reasons. (laughs) Yeah. And again, everybody is doing their best. And to be able to 
understand from a different stakeholders perspective what their concerns are and they're really trying to protect the patient privacy for example they're not throwing up walls just for the sake of throwing up walls they have a responsibility to the patient to protect their information gosh that's not you know a barrier that's arbitrarily put up but it is a barrier that needs to be negotiated and navigated and uh and figured out and so we just need to go through that process and having the correct people educating people along the way with this was done this way for a specific reason and then there's a discussion on is that reason still applicable where it's like, this is how we check people into the hospital versus this is how we protect data are two different kinds of conversations to have as things get improved. That's such an important point. And actually, it comes up in my coaching practice a lot because with high stakes, high consequence decision making, the rationale for why that decision makes sense why that decision versus another decision is super important to be able to articulate to yourself if you're the one making the decision. But then if this decision has downstream impact for other people and other departments and other other anything, to be able to communicate that well is so critical. So yeah, it's an absolutely important point. Perfect. And do you have anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today, Nicole? No, I don't think so. I think I just want to leave people with um, a couple of points. One is if you are looking to expand out of the nine to five and, you know, set up your own shop or maybe become an advisor, I want people to think about ways to employ creativity and exploration and just genuine interest in other people and other companies and other processes in order to make that happen for themselves. That there's no specific formula. There is finding out what works for you, what is comfortable for you, and genuinely just finding your people. And I think that approach is going to do so much more for helping you meet your goals in that respect than than anything else. Yeah, that's a really great note to end on. And then if anyone's looking to get in touch with you, to connect with you, be curious about what you do, where is the best way to do that? Where do they find you? So probably the best way, honestly, is my LinkedIn profile. Nicole Coustier, but you can also find me at coustieradvisory.com. That's my medtech side or aureliancoaching.com. And that's the executive coaching side. Awesome. It was really wonderful to have you, Nicole. And this was, we had like several little good pieces of discussion here that I cannot wait for everyone to listen to and hear their thoughts on. Yeah, it was so fun for me, Casey. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you, thank you for listening in on this conversation between Nicole and I. We covered so much about the startup industry and how to get your foot in the door. It was one that I feel like I've personally benefited from as I've dug more into the consulting and startup world, making connections. And if you want to connect with Nicole 
reach out to her. You can find how to do that in the show notes. And I will be back again in two weeks with another great episode featuring another amazing woman in tech. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with She Sparks Tech on Instagram and LinkedIn. Hope to see you there. Cheers. Cheers.